Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, and uh, today we have uh, a special guest. I've, I've watched him for years, and uh, he's actually a BC boy, which is kind of fun. Um, and, and we're just a fair warning, there's going to be a lot of sports talking today. So if you're not a sports fan, this is probably not the show for you. Um, but thank you for listening. I'd like to introduce uh, Brad Fay from Sportsnet. Welcome to the program. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. So, Brad, uh, let's let's start with how how much fun is it to be? I, I mean, this is for a lot of. I grew up in the streets of Tabor, Alberta, rough streets, and uh, you know, we just thought the best job in the world is to talk about sports on TV. I mean, is it a is it a dream job for you? It is. Uh, and it's I've heard uh, people, uh, John Shannon, who worked with us for a long time, legendary producer, he always said it's like we get to work in the in the toy department. And it's exactly what it feels like. I've been doing uh, well, media for longer than that, but TV for about 25, 26 years. And it's a blast. It's a different challenge every time, but it never, uh, you know, never ceases to uh, uh, dawn on me that I'm pretty lucky to be doing what I'm doing because I'm a fan first and foremost like you growing up and imagining it and now you kind of look around and it's pretty cool. Now do you have a skincare regimen you follow to uh, to make sure that the skin is smooth and, and just you know blemish free or anything else? Yeah we have makeup people that help us with that so not today unfortunately I don't have a personal one that follows me around but uh, you know that's a that's part of it. especially when HD came in then it became even more important because oh. everything shows up so and, and you know and fundamentally some people should should not be on television let's just no, that, <laughs> fair enough yeah <laughs> you never get in fight with ugly people because they have nothing to lose as well <laughs> um so i want to talk a bit about and now part of the reason why um brad has shared his time with us today is he's uh here to help promote uh, hoopla which is the okanagan college fall fundraiser september 28 6 30 p.m and uh 54 a ticket I know that they, uh, they're very excited about your inclusion. Um, you get uh, canapes and, and drinks, and I think canapes are food. I, I, you know, I'm the unwashed, so I think that's food. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm, are you going to be sharing stories of, of uh, you know, the Toronto Raptors run and, and all that kind of good stuff? Like, what are, what are people going to get from, from Brad Fay? Yeah, well, I think probably that stuff uh, a lot of people want to hear for sure. And uh, these kind of things, sometimes you, you, you play it by ear because uh, I, I do have a history in Kelowna. I worked for five years at the Daily Courier, kind of where I got my start in media. So I think there might be some stories we're telling from there for the Kelowna Rocket days and the Okanagan Sun, some fun stories, how I got into the business. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's one of those things where you kind of play, you know, play the crowd uh, and and understand what people are interested in, see where they're going. And uh, sometimes it's easier just to open it up and have people ask questions. But I think there is an interest, like you said, it's something that not too many people, you know, get to do. A lot of people would like to do what I do. I'm lucky. And so tell stories from behind the scenes. I always call it kind of the backstage pass when we're in the arenas before the games and afterwards and sort of seeing it from a different angle than everybody that sees it at home on TV. And that 2019 championship run, I think, was um you know, for a, a whole generation of Canadians, it was the first major one and across the country since the Blue Jays in 93. So I think a lot of people jumped on board and remember every moment of it like like I do. It, it was just such a, a tremendous way. And, and I just remember from my standpoint of the unity, like, I mean, neighbors were calling neighbors and we were coming together and 
mm-hmm. hey, let's watch the game tonight. And and I mean, a lot of overnight basketball fans, and uh, and Kawhi Leonard. I mean, uh, I I I still don't know how the Raptors got a hold of him, and and I still think it's very special that he came to Canada because I. I mean, I'm not sure, but I'm I'm sure that he had a, a few other venues he could have played for, but he came here and and uh, he was instrumental in that in that run. And you saw you saw the the firsthand view of that. Well, it's the best athlete I've ever seen up close on a continual basis, and I've seen you know I did get to see Michael Jordan play, saw Gretzky, saw Lemieux, but in terms of following someone day to day, and I don't think everybody is aware of what he was going through too. He was pretty banged up is, is uh, and re- regular season games. He probably would have played half of those playoff games. So he was playing on one leg or one and a half for a lot of that. And the, the guts and the determination, how bad he wanted it. But the, the real um, reminder was that you have to have a superstar. It's the one sport, every sport superstars help get you to that point. But the NBA, you have to have that guy when it's on the line. And there were three or four games, obviously the shot against Philadelphia, but there were three or four other games where he single-handedly took over and won. And just a marvel at that. And like you said, came for one year and he left. And I think it's going to get cooler every year beyond uh, when people say, so he came for one year, they won the championship and he left. And everyone's going to go, yes. And it was awesome. It's just a, a really neat story that uh, the way it played out, I don't think anybody would change it. Would have loved to have another year or two out of them, but I don't think anybody would give up that championship for the fact that we only got him for one year. What was interesting to me is, and again, I'm not a basketball player, nor profess to be, if you've ever seen me play a horse or anything. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is between the years is really the important component. And and sometimes I see it on the basketball court where somebody who doesn't have confidence, like the team, you can literally see them deflate. And then you they pass it to the superstar, like a Jordan or a Kawhi Leonard, and, and they make things happen and i think you can almost see a team get flat and a superstar just carries them over that that threshold and pushes them forward and i find that just the mental side of the game like is there a a sports psychologist that helps the team out like do, do you see that behind the scenes i think uh, yeah a lot of it is innate and the guys that have it have it um i'll get back to your uh, question about the psychologist in a second i think that uh, the the difference the NBA is maybe the most where the superstar has the most impact because they can physically get the ball anytime they want, put it in their hands. Hockey, uh, you know, the puck has to come their way. You can't just set up, stop. Everybody waits. Uh, secondly, defensively, where Kawhi Leonard was like Michael Jordan in the sense that he was also the best defensive player on the floor. So like you say, a team's flat. He makes a couple of plays, a uh, great stop, a steal something like that, that sparks everybody. But I think the psychology has become a big part of it. And uh, it just is that difference. All these guys are good. I think golf's the best example where a lot of guys on the tour can shoot 65, 66, but when it's on the line, they can't. And if you can shoot 64 in those days, you're going to win major championships. And that's a matter of keeping that focus all the time. And I think they're available. I don't think they sit down and, you know, and, and school them like a psychologist would and, and listen, grill it into them. But I think they're there. And I think there's a lot of talk in that sense. And if guys are struggling, they get within themselves and the, the ability is there because they're a professional athlete making millions of dollars. So sometimes it's just a matter of something clicking. And I think that's a, a fair question that there is a bit of psychology involved, even with the very best. Yeah, no, I, I think of uh, the Tiger Woods of the world, the Michael Jordans, the Federer's, I mean, these are all iconic people. And, and a lot was said, I can't 
uh, Theo Fleury did a, a talk for the Big Brothers Big Sisters fundraiser, and he talked about the only other person who was more competitive than he was was Wayne Gretzky. He said mm-hmm. uh, that that guy, if you knew how hyper focused on winning he was, he said uh, it, it would literally blow people away. His tenacity to get the puck, win games, win championships. He said nobody else came came close to him. And I think Lemieux probably had more talent, Mm -hmm. but I think Gretzky wanted it more. And I think the Lemieux made mention of that after the Canada Cup in 87 that said this guy, Gretzky, is the best player in the world and he could cruise and still be, yet he's working harder than everybody else and wants it more than everyone else. And that was sort of uh, sparked Lemieux the next year after that 87 Canada cup, the next year was the year that he almost broke Gretzky's scoring record. If he hadn't got hurt, he might've for a season. And I think uh, it inspired him as well. So uh, you get that combination of where you're already the best player talent wise and, and skill wise and mentally. And then you have that ability to, to want to work hard. Then you're no, no one's going to stop you. I think. And we're kind of seeing that with uh, Connor McDavid. Like, I mean, here, mm-hmm. here's a guy that's blessed with all this talent fast twitch muscles and all that kind of stuff. And then he he's able to actually fundamentally work at a supercomputer speed on the ice. I I despise him immensely because I'm a Calgary Flames fan. True there you and true. <laughs> but, but, I mean, what a player. And, and for him mm-hmm. to have that. Now, do you cover as much hockey or is it strictly like are you given a portfolio of basketball and that's where Brad Fay is? Yeah, basketball Olympics. Uh, so every two years, I host uh, Olympics, which is very intense, 16 days in the air, but a lot of prep. It's the thing you prep the most for because there's so much to know. Uh, and then I do the tennis. We have the uh, what used to be called the Rogers Cup, now the National Bank Open every year. Uh, I do a little bit of hockey, a little bit of baseball, but that's kind of my three anchor tenants. And uh, I, I'm lucky with my timing because I walked into all three when a Canadian, in the case of the Raptors, Canadian team, Casey, the Olympics, Canada has never been more competitive and tennis. Suddenly we've got good young players on both sides. So I count myself lucky the last uh, five, six, seven years that those have been my three major anchors. So you are the good luck charm. They, yeah, that's, that- <laughs> so far. Yes. I'll tell, I'll tell sports that I keep it going. <laughs> so on the Olympic side, um, why, why are we doing better at the podium? I know we've got that, uh, you know, win the podium uh, program or whatever it's called. And, and it seems like there's there's more of a, a thought process towards let's really give some resources to our athletes like every other country does. Um, mm-hmm. But is that part of the reason why it seems like we're competing at a higher level and, and continuing more medal counts? I think I think one of the things is and it's true of baseball. Uh, it'll be true. Uh, you know, the, the baseball, the, the Blue Jays win in the 90s and then all of a sudden you get more Canadians that watched and want to play and now you've got guys like Joey Votto good Canadian players that are of the elite in the Major League Baseball same thing with Steve Nash and the Raptors and Grizzlies arriving and now uh, with the Olympics I think 2010 that uh, the fact that they had it to own the podium and there they added a bunch of sports for those Olympic Games that were just perfect for Canada like the snowboarding the the short track speed skating had just come in recently. So the sports that Canada excels at. And then I think you're seeing the benefits of that now. Like you look at Penny Alexiak, who's a summer Olympian, obviously. But she, and even by 2016, she was 16 years old. She would have been 10 when the Vancouver Games happened. And the entire nation was riveted. And I think anyone who was close to dedicating themselves that way watched and realized, I want to be part of that. And I think that's the simplest explanation. I think we're you know, we're getting better as a 
as a country across the board in sports, but I think you need somewhere to start where you're like, we all used to watch hockey, all used to play hockey on the streets. So almost everybody in our generation knows someone who we played hockey with as a kid that made it at least close to the NHL, other sports never. And now it's gone the other way because we're being exposed to high levels by uh, high level performances by Canadians. And, and it's true. Like the, uh, the Steve Nash's of the world obviously gave us that with the, uh, the basketball following, um, just back to the 2010 Olympics, a couple of, a uh, couple of things I want to talk to you about. One was, uh, the Gretzky in the back of the truck and the torch, uh, any, any thoughts around what, what that was or <laughs> I, you know, it's too bad because I thought everything about that opening ceremony was perfect. I, it made me emotional. I didn't even mind that the one lever didn't come up the one torch. Uh, you can see in the background there that I've got a torch. If you can see it, I got oh. to run the torch because I was hosting, which is amazing. That was very, wow. very uh, special. So the big version of that, you know, that didn't come up, but they, they, the five that they picked to, to be the last ones to come in, I thought were, was a perfect representation. I felt like it just touched on everything in that ceremony and Katie Lang singing uh, hallelujah was brilliant in her bare feet. <laughs> they put, our greatest athlete in a truck in the rain, tie him with a rope around a bar. I mean, that, and that was not only stupid with him standing there, it was all, he was wide open to people running on the street as they watched it unfold. So I have no idea why that happened. If they wanted him to be the final one, could have had a torch right outside that he lit. And at the same time, it lit up the one downtown, but that was, yeah, that was goofy, but it, uh, hopefully it didn't completely erase the rest of the, uh, the rest of the ceremony because I thought it was perfect otherwise. No, the, and, and Nickelback, I, I thought crushed it uh, with uh, the burn it down. Like, I mean, I, I just fundamentally, uh, they get hammered a lot on social media, but I, I love that band. Um, the other thought is, so my cousin works uh, with the RCMP and he was stationed outside of Vancouver helping keep the peace and everything else. And he said uh, he's fundamentally outside of the city limits and he heard the roar when Crosby scored the goal mm-hmm. and, and it still gives me goosebumps. Where, where, yeah. where were you when the golden goal happened? Well, I say it very sheepishly. I was there. Uh, and that was the only event, the only event that I got to go to. Um, and again, like I say, big, don't feel sorry for me, but we worked. So Martin Geyer and I, uh, were the primetime hosts. So we started, everything starts a little early out there, 3 PM, to 11 p.m. we were on the air Pacific time. So all the events happened after that nothing started until two or 2.30 and obviously we wouldn't be able to do anything before we got on the desk. So the early people that were on from basically seven in the morning till in the afternoon, they went to everything and there were suites, you know, available through Rogers and through the Olympic committee and everything. And every night they went to something. So I went to the, to my boss, and said, you know, listen, it's a big ask because it's the toughest ticket, but we are done as of Saturday night. Sunday afternoon's the gold medal game, if there's any chance. And uh, he got two tickets for me. Martine started crying when she saw them, which was amazing. And so we were in the building and uh, it was wild because it was a noon start local, which is very weird mm-hmm. um, because you're just not ready to be ramped up yet. And so two things that I recall besides the goal itself was one, when they came out, it was kind of quiet and nobody knew what to do. And then all of a sudden on the big screen, it was one of the first times I've seen it. They showed the players coming out of the dressing room before they got to the ice. And I can picture Corey Perry grabbing his stick and picking out and fist bumping somebody. And then they came down that tunnel and it was 
unreal. And then the only weird thing was in that sense, there was no national anthem before the game. Thankfully, there was one afterwards for Canadian fans when they won. So you don't get that sort of buildup. But then the last five minutes uh, and then into overtime, it got very quiet. And it, it's because it matters so much, you know, <laughs> just like it was entertaining. But everybody, everyone's cheering. And then all of a sudden it began like they're up, they're up a goal. And there's five minutes, four minutes, three minutes. And then, of course, the U.S. ties it and it goes to overtime. And then it's just complete nail-biting. And every time Patrick Kane was on the ice, I thought, they're going to score. Yeah. They're going to beat uh, Canada. And so when Crosby scored, it kind of happened where we were on the same side. So if he's shooting the puck here, we were up in the top level right there. So the angle was the same. We couldn't see if it went in. We just saw him celebrate. And you heard him scream. And then everybody started screaming. So it was, uh, but that, I heard about that roar. I heard all the different reports of people across the water, people all around, because I think that was the event that everyone is watching. And as great as the Olympic performance was, if they had lost that game, it would have left it in a kind of damp mood. So it was, uh, everything was on the line for that game. And it was, uh, yeah, so I feel, I feel very, very lucky to have been there for that. Didn't get to see anything else, but that's uh, probably a trade I'd make again. Uh, so you probably heard the uh, Iggy when uh... yes, I could, didn't hear the Iggy, but I did afterwards for that, which is amazing. Yeah. So, but but I heard Crosby scream when he scored very before the crowd reacted. It was kind of odd because nobody knew it had gone in. But only a great player would understand the fact that he's somewhat catching and 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 how superstars do this. Yeah. Glancing at the goalie, seeing the fact that he's going to stick check him because he's thinking he's going to go around for a deke. And then just firing at five hole, the yeah. confidence and the mental game to just do that. Uh, I, I still, he, he's another one of our national treasures, of course. Absolutely. I'm with you. I think he's underrated. I think he's very underappreciated. And the other thing with that tournament, he was so young and there was a lot of pressure on him. He didn't have his best tournament stats wise. So for him to score the iconic goal is awesome because it just puts him in line with Lemieux. And of course, Paul Henderson and, and, you know, Henderson's a different story altogether from that one tournament, but all of the big games, it seems the big names are involved. And so he's got that, uh, that moment, but I, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Every the way he conducts himself, the way he plays the game, he is very, very much, if there's four that are protected in my mind, in any order, Gretzky, Lemieux, Orrin Howe, Crosby's right in the mix to be the fifth best of all time with a few other guys. And I don't know if everybody uh, realizes that enough for my money. We're speaking with uh, Mr. Brad Fay from Sportsnet, uh, host, MC of uh, Hoopla, the Okanagan College Fall Fundraiser, September 28th, 6.30 p.m. Uh, ticket is is nothing, $54, because you get a whole bunch of Brad Fay. And uh, you get dinner and drinks and, well, canapes, of course. I, I'm, I'm probably mispronunciating that, but that's okay. Now, Brad, you were... You were basically picked up, um, recruited from a pickup basketball game. And and I'm almost wondering is if you were really good at the chirps. Is that is that the reason why they, they thought you should go to the next level is because you were Mr. Chirpy Chirps or what? Yeah. No, I was not 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 that talkative, not in that way, because uh, if you saw my uh, at that point, six foot two, 170 pound frame. I, I couldn't back anything up to, to so there was no, no chirping involved, but I guess, I guess I talked a good game about sports, uh, in between baskets that maybe that's what got it done. It is funny though, where, uh, different people have, have risen the ranks of, of sports and, 
And I, I, I do think, is it important to be passionate about sports? Do you think that's a fundamental, like you really have to be in, immersed in it in order to be good at it? I think so. I know I was, um, you know, I, I was one of those that's uh, newspapers now are kind of, you know, on the out, but, um, every morning that sports page and especially what they call if people don't know the term agate page where the scoreboard and all the standings, I would just peruse it over and over. I memorized everything and not as a point of, Oh, I want to know what it is. I just loved it so much. I learned all my geography from sports where the divisions were. And so I knew, oh, that's uh, that's New York. That's in the East or in the NFC East or whatever. Um, but yeah, I I had a love for uh, for all sports. I think now it's very, it seems to be very specialized. And I'm I'm um, I'm one of the last that still does a bunch of different things because they've got people that are very locked in with hockey or very locked in with baseball. And uh, I get so it, it's benefit for me, but it, it's a little bit. Um, more difficult just because you have to keep your mind on different things. But that's the way I was growing up. I didn't have, when people ask me what my favorite sport was as a kid, I wouldn't have had one because I really liked everything I, outside of auto racing. I, I never got that, uh, which is fine. A lot of people do, but I never watched it, but everything else I was uh, into. And as you say, passion, I think is a key word. You can't fake it. I think that people are, you know, not that stupid people that watch. We're always very judgmental of uh, sportscasters. And I was like that as a kid because I'd watch it say, right, right away he made a mistake or he he talks about this, that's not what happened or whatever. So the fundamental uh, thing is passion and the knowledge that you can speak of it from a place where you've paid attention for a long time. I think that matters. Well, it is interesting that, uh, you know, because I, I played beer league not very well. And uh, in fact, one time somebody decided to video... Uh, a game and then play it back and we thought that that was a great idea until you see how slow and awful you are um it, yeah. so we will never TV, do that tv again. slows it down too doesn't it it's, it's awful <laughs> but uh you know whenever we watch uh sports casters sometimes you know they get into the minutiae of, of a hockey game and and uh you know i'm obviously a passionate fan for the flames and whenever i see somebody make a comment that you know, it's a, there's a theoretical person, but then there's somebody like Bieksa who, who plays the game. And, uh, and I always am just, I so enjoy, you know, the, the Freedmans who, who are talking about it from, you know, I think a 10,000 foot view. And then the Bieksa yeah. who's going, here's what's going on in the room right now. And, mm-hmm. and do you find that as, as someone who, you know, obviously you've, you've, uh, you've talked Kelowna Rockets, play-by-play. Were you color or play-by-play? I was color on the broadcast. I was a newspaper beat writer, so I just traveled. Rick Ball was the play-by-play who now does the Flames games. Oh, and, and so Ball. We were, Ball's great, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, he's fantastic. So that was his start as well, and we were friends, and he just said, you're traveling with the team anyway for the newspaper. Why don't you just do the color commentary? So that was uh, it was a great opportunity for me because that was before, obviously before the TV, and it gave me at least a little bit of uh, experience of projecting and you know, the one thing with color commentary, you the play-by-play guy stops talking and you've got to fill those 30 seconds and you've got to say something that he didn't just say. So your imagination needs to wander too. So, I, but I agree with you with um, people like Kevin BX. Like you don't have to be the guy because there's there's guys that have been on the air that were players that aren't very good. And there's guys like you mentioned, Elliot Freeman, a perfect example, who never played, but is so tapped in. He's got all the information and he presents it in a way that you want to hear what's coming next. But when you get the combination of Bieksa, who was a player, who 
who not only looks good, my mm-hmm. wife will tell me he's a good looking man, yeah. but he looks like a hockey player. And then he's funny and he's so tuned in that uh, he's just really, really good. And he'll tell it. Uh, I don't think he's afraid to tell it like it is either. And I think that's the the key is, and, and what I've always appreciated about your style is you would be on the subdued side. Um, and, and I say that with a compliment because, uh, you know, as somebody who came from the radio world, you know, there's the frequency modulation people who talk like this. <laughs> and I just cannot stand it when I hear somebody affect their voice like that. And yeah. you've always yeah. been, I think, Brad Fay socially. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure you raise for the TV. Yeah. But you have to speak up a bit. But I to that end, my the best compliments I get are from my friends that I grew up with that say you sound exactly the same on the air. As you do. And, you know, and that's it's one of those things where, yeah, that's surprising that you wouldn't say that about everybody. But did you say what the what do you say? The modula, the frequency the, uh, modulation, the FM. frequency modulation, um, which is very good. Um, I'm going to use that myself. But the problem with that, that's what I try to tell if I speak at the schools the odd time, is that there is enough to worry about. You got to remember, you know, first of all, what's happening. You got to know you got to present it well and you, your eyes got to be open you got to be looking at the camera or looking at who's with you and then the next thing happens producers in your ear telling you what's coming up the last thing i'd want to worry about is be talking like this oh i'm supposed to be talking like this you know and it's it's just it's really odd and the odd person gets away with it i know there's a few on our no names for sure but if you're on our network that have done it forever and that's just the voice that people know but it's uh, it's a really really dangerous game because you then you get excited if something happens and all of a sudden you're natural when your reaction wouldn't be, Oh my God. You'd be, oh my God. So it's, it's very, it's uh, anyway, it's yeah. You gotta, gotta be yourself. And the funny, the other thing is a perfect example. That I say someone like Chris Cuthbert, yes. who may be the most accomplished in our business of the people that are on right now. And he's done everything and he doesn't have the huge voice. He's got what you would call a higher voice, yeah, but does. it's, He's so good that it becomes a thing where now it's almost the opposite. If someone came on and did play by play with a really deep voice, they'd say, Ooh, that doesn't sound like hockey. It's Chris Cuthbert sounds like hockey. So it really, unless you've got a goofy voice and you need to take voice lessons and things like that, otherwise be yourself. And it, uh, it pays off. No, I, I, and, and, you know, when you came from, I think a radio newspaper background, um, like I said, it's, I think the Brad Fay of today, uh, mirrors somewhat, you know, maybe darker hair, uh, yeah. mirrors somewhat of, <laughs> of the one years ago, which is yeah. great. I hope so. Yeah. Um, the other thought I have is, is with some of the questions. And again, this is just, you know, a sports fan talking out loud, but man, some of these hockey interviews, I, I'm, I'm sorry, as a huge fan for hockey, uh, if you saw my doormat in front of my home, it says hockey lives here. And there's just like hockey, like you, you know, you're stepping into a, a hockey fan uh, place. But the part that always drives me insane is to sell the game, to make it bigger, to, to get it larger. These interviews with sports athletes, especially hockey players, which has made been fun of in Letterkenny and everything else for good reason. Um, yeah we just don't seem to have much in the way of characters anymore. Like there's mm-hmm. no, there's no Eddie Shacks. There's no, like, you know, people that are vivacious and, and know how to, to, you know, have fun. A John Daly, although obviously uh, he's a national treasure for the U S <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I, I would love it if, if, uh, 
if Connor McDavid gave us anything more than, well, it's it's been a really big game and, uh, you know, it's a good team over there and, and you know, we yeah. get, uh, we're going to finish checks and play. Like, honestly, that we can take out hockey interviews or at least find some personalities. Do you find that as a as someone who's interviewed countless people? Have you gotten great interviews? Yeah, the, so the best, the first thing that comes to mind is when we did the women's golf um, I did the, the greenside interviews. We had the Canadian open two or three years in a row, many years ago, they were amazing. And I think part of it was because they knew that they had to sell and they got that. So they were very engaging and would look you right in the eye. And then they'd finish. I remember when you'd say, thanks very much. And they'd say, you know, thank you. And then they'd look at the camera with a smile or a wave. <laughs> like it just is so different. And I think, I think part of it is they're so programmed now that, if they say, especially now, when I'm the last two years now, things have gotten completely different that nobody wants to say anything. But even before that, they're scared of sounding, you know, if they say something that sounds offensive or they sound dumb or something. And then the other side of that is that, for example, when Brett Hall and Jeremy Roenick first started uh, doing the interviews and they were saying good, crazy stuff. And everyone said, that's not, that's not a hockey player. That's not how we do it. Right. And so they bring it back in to, pucks in deep dad to your list of things that Ken Reed always harps on that when it's Sportsnet, and it is the same types of things so I, I've had the best interviews are when you get a chance to sit somebody down mm -hmm. because they know they're going to be there for five or ten minutes and they'll answer because you're doing a feature on them or something but post-game interviews for the most part um, the international basketball players are way better and I think of like Jonas Valanciunas when he played for the Raptors, he yeah. was just so much fun all the time. And he, you know, he's so tall, he'd hit you on the head afterwards or something, or he'd, or he'd say, good to see you again. Like those little things that go a long way because it makes it more personal. And uh, I, I agree. It's like a lost art and you can be a really good interviewer and there are some, but it's just hard to get anything out of the, out of the hockey players. So it's, it's a, it's, it's tough. I agree with you, but if you get them to sit down, usually they're, they're much better. So you don't ever. You probably have some tricks in the in the old bag, though, of of getting him to talk, like throwing him. Uh, hey, how do you uh, buy stuff from the mall because you can't go to the mall? So how do you, you know, how do you do? Like, I'm just thinking of any curveball question that, to pull them out of this this cloak because, again, they're they're trying not to feed the other team any locker room material, and I get all that, but yeah, yeah, I don't know, I just. It, it's killing me uh, some of these interviews because uh, it has to happen. People want to see the athlete, yeah. But again, to draw them out is is like that's high praise for anyone who can. Yeah. Well, maybe one trick is um, it would say when you ask about one of their teammates who had a good game or something, because then they feel good to talk about that, and they don't, you know, they're not pumping themselves up. They're not putting down the other team. It's like, oh, he's important. And they'll say the same thing leading in, but at least they'll add something. But to your point about something different, the best stuff we got when we had the Raptors had the Christmas day game, 2019, uh, which was really fun. They got, they were horrible. They got hammered, but that was because they won the championship. They got one. It was kind of a beyond the obvious. It was a festive occasion. It felt like a big deal that they got one of those Christmas day games. And we had it on our network. The halftime, the whole halftime was all of the players being interviewed about their favorite Christmas gift as a kid. And a lot of these kids came from not so great means. Yeah. And it was amazing because a couple of them even got emotional talking about what their their mom or dad did. And then when it got into video games, then they'd be, I got a PS, you know, they realized these guys are still young. I got the PS3 
And then I found out that my buddy had the games that he got only worked in the PS2 and, and they were so engaging talking about that. So it's a perfect example of you bring them something outside of sports and something that it is, I think those guys are all, especially the basketball players are all gamers. They're all still, you know, early twenties, a lot of these guys. So when they want to talk about that or their fantasy football pool or something, you'll get personality. You may just not get <laughs> anything to do with the next uh, opponent or, or uh, how the season's going. Um, let's switch gears to, uh, you know, a, a lot of people and we, we know it's a, it's a, it's a small community. The, uh, the broadcasters who, um, who stands out for you that maybe doesn't get enough praise speaking of other teammates, but in, in your eyes, who do you work with that, that should probably get more, more praise than they, they might. Well, the, definitely, uh, Rick ball, who I worked in Kelowna and uh, who was played by play the Rockets and now does the flames games in the hockey night in Canada. I think sometimes when people are, and I grew up in the West as you had mentioned. So it happens where guys get kind of tucked away there and maybe people don't realize how good they are when it comes to hockey play by play. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. I think that, uh, I think he, this next guy gets the pub that uh, perhaps he deserves, but maybe not on the level of the legends like the Ron McLean's and the Dave Hodges, but James Duthie at TSN, is uh, to me just the, the the best and the smoothest. And we talk about guys that keep their level. He's not faking anything. He just who he is. Um, those two come to mind. Um, Danielle Michaud, who works with us on the Raptors, is is sort of an up and comer, and she's beginning to do a little bit of everything. And again, really natural, great personality, absolute uh, lockdown knowledge of everything. She is a fan and uh growing up and and still is and uh so she's somebody that if you ask me that question five or ten years from now that might be the answer that i give um this is so much fun just chatting with you about <laughs> uh sports so i'm uh we're gonna tail it off a bit um but i i i do appreciate the time i do want to talk about my flames team though okay because over the summer i'm not sure if you heard um, but it was covered on Sportsnet widely that uh, there might have been a Johnny Hockey and a Kachuk going and then a Huberdo and, and uh, Kadri maybe or a Uyghur. Like, <laughs> there was a couple of players. Do, do you think, because uh, I have a lot of Oilers friends and I adore them and Canucks friends, but oddly enough in, in Kelowna for some reason there's just there's more Edmonton Oilers and Calgary Flames rivalry than there's Canucks probably because of the success. But... Um, in, in your eyes, did the Flames get better? I think so. I think that at the very, very least, they didn't get worse, which uh, two weeks before the second group of moves were made, I thought, this is it. There's no chance for this team. And then they, the guys that they got, not only comparatively in terms of talent, salary and all that, but maybe the style of play, the grit, and obviously Godfrey brings that, and maybe that's something that was missing. I don't think McDavid is happy that uh, he's going to have to go head-to-head with that guy uh, during their course of regular season and likely in playoff series for years to come. So I think they got uh, they got better. I think that both they and the Oilers, in my mind, were um, you know very close. Nobody was going to beat Colorado this mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. but I think in the next two to three years one of those teams is going to make the stanley cup final in my mind i think it's great for us as sports we have four years left on the big nhl deal and it's great for canadian hockey fans because those of us who grew up in the late 70s through the 80s every single year there was a canadian team in the in the final sometimes two with calgary and montreal as you know so 
Uh, it's way better. And as much as people might not want to admit it, if they hate the Oilers or they hate the Flames or they hate the Canucks, they're watching more because if they hate them, they want to watch because they want them to lose in the final. And it just matters so much more than uh, than wanting to see Tampa Bay beat Colorado or vice versa. So as a, as a sport, you know, that has just bled uh, throughout this country, that would be really fun. And I, and I feel like I, I'm from Vancouver. I'm in Toronto now, so I'm a, not a Leafs fan by any means, but you have to figure odds are one of these years they're going to win a series. And then maybe that means they take a run all the way. And wouldn't that be something to see uh, two Canadian teams in a final? At least we're at least we're not living in dreamland thinking that way. Put it that way. That's fair. That's fair. Um, no. Just because you're you're good at this stuff. If we had a Canadian hockey team tomorrow, who would it be? Who would be some names on? I don't want the whole team, the whole squad. But, yeah. but who, uh, starting with goal, who do we put in goal? That's the that's the key. I don't know who the goalies are going to be. Every other uh, nation has the great goaltending now. So are you still going with Mark Andre Fleury, the the old timer? I mean, they were years when Martin Brodeur or Curtis Joseph was the third or fourth best one. So the goalie to me is the only question. And someone's gonna, if someone has a good year between now and the next competition, which is likely the World Cup, then they're going to win that job. But I don't think it's obvious. But, but you look at the speed up front, if you put McKinnon and McDavid, let them play together, who's stopping those guys, you know? And it's um, it's it's always fun to see. I'm hoping that uh, our guy, we talked about Crosby, gets one more, mm-hmm. and he should. I don't know whether he'll get another Olympics four years from now, but that World Cup could be his swan song. So Canada's always going to be going to be fine in those things but the goaltending uh, is uh, funny that you mentioned that first because that's what worries me more than and and it never used to be an issue you always had the one guy joseph started in 02 and he struggled and they put Broder in and he ran the table and they always had that second guy like a carry price or what have you and and uh, there you go the- and carry price that was a difference when he when they said he may be done for his career then you're you know you're in trouble and and we got that kill mccarr guy who's pretty good yeah yeah i think he'll make it (laughs) uh brad fay uh so much fun to to chat with you talk sports uh he is going to be the mc for hoopla uh, okanagan college fall fundraiser september 28th 6 30 p.m get your tickets now and uh and you get you know you get brad fay and you get you get drinks you get to to raise money for a great cause so uh again i i want to thank uh brad fay for taking some time out of his busy sports net schedule And uh, hopefully we'll chat soon. It was great to talk to you.